The Spear of Destiny is a legend centering around the spear which pierced Jesus' side during his crucifixion. According to myth, the Spear of Destiny was passed down through a line of kings after being found during the Crusades, which I'll get to in a second. It was said to have given many powerful rulers their authority, plus the ability to control their own destiny. It is also sometimes called the Holy Lance, and is considered a relic by the Roman Catholic Church. The spear which pierced his side was never mentioned again after the Roman soldier who wielded it stabbed him. The Bible has no information about any object of power, like the spear of destiny. Destiny is not controlled by any object or person, but only by God himself. Blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of speculation and study given to the spear of destiny, but in that... It is best simply an interesting legend and a distraction from the beauty of the Savior whose side it pierced. And that's a, according to the compelling truth. Okay, so um, what are they talking about? The discovery of the Holy Lands. On June 15th, 1098, the army of the First Crusade, which like was like, under siege by a huge Turkish army, um, was in the city of Antioch, and, uh, one of the religious leaders, um, that was along with the crusade, supposedly found the Holy Lance. So, early in June 1098, the army of the First Crusade heading south through Syria on its way to wrest Jerusalem from the Saracens, captured the city of Antioch, was promptly shut in the city and besieged by a powerful Turkish and Arab force. Food quickly ran out, morale plummeted, and the crusaders were nearing desperation when the situation was saved by a miraculous discovery. So, if you've ever heard the term zeal, that's like crusader zeal, and that's associated with like stories like this. So, a provincial peasant named Peter Bartholomew, with a reputation as a drinker and a womanizer, demanded to see the Count of Provence, one of the principal crusading leaders. When given an audience by the Count and the Bishop of Le Puy, uh, one of the other main binding forces of the crusade. He explained that St. Andrew had appeared to him in a vision and had told him where the Holy Lance was, the very spear that had pierced Christ's side on the cross, that it could be found in the cathedral of St. Peter in Antioch. The bishop viewed the story with a cynical eye, but Count Raymond was impressed and a mood of Excited expectation began to spread through the hard-pressed crusaders in the city. So, you know, that's like why it's such a... Why it's viewed with such skepticism is that this Peter of Bartholomew um, said he had this vision to, uh, you know, embolden and encourage the crusaders that they were still... They still had God on their side. You know, and the proof was by finding this holy artifact. On June 15th, Count Raymond, you know, Raymond of Toulouse, he, 
He was one of the main first crusader leaders, and others went with Peter Bartholomew to the cathedral. Workmen dug down into the floor where Peter indicated. They found nothing, and Count Raymond walked away in disappointment. But then Peter himself, who was only wearing a shirt, jumped down into the trench and triumphantly produced a piece of iron, which everyone immediately held as the sacred lance head of himself. As Sir Stephen Runchiman, the history of the Crusades, remarked, it is useless now to judge what really happened. Raymond of Aguilar, a reputable historian who was one of Count Raymond's chaplains, observed what took place and reported that he had seen the iron in the ground before Peter began brandishing it. Whenever Peter's, whether Peter somehow salvaged the dig or whether he had the diviner's gift for sensing the uh, piece of steel is impossible to say. In any case, the excitement in the city was intense as the word of the fine spread, and even Bishop Adamar of Lapui and other skeptics kept their doubts to themselves for, for the moment because of the evident boost to the Crusaders' morale. Because basically what the Crusaders did after this is, driven by holy zeal, they rushed out of the city and in one last-ditch attempt to lift the siege, like just charged headlong into the enemy's army, and then the army, like... Um, disintegrated and retreated and you know they lifted the siege so in any case the excitement in the city uh blah 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 so so transformed that on june 28th following further instructions uh issued through peter bartholomew who guaranteed victory in another vision the crusaders sailed out from antioch they were led by their best soldier uh bohemond of toronto with the holy lance carried by Raymond of Aguilar. So, uh, a YouTube channel called uh, Epic History TV, like, they do this story justice. I highly recommend you watch that, of course, after you're done listening to this. Desperately weak from hunger, they were in an exalted mood, and some cried out that they could see celestial visions on white horses, Writing to help them, bearing white banners, and was led by and were led by Saint George. In a berserk frenzy, they sent the besieging uh, Saracens packing and slaughtered many of them in flight. The victory saved the crusade, and the lance was kept by Count Raymond, who treated it with great reverence. Um, is a useful addition to his armory uh, and his power struggle with Prince Bohemond. But Peter Bartholomew did not inspire confidence. Doubts about the genuineness of the relic reached such a peak that early in April 1099, he demanded an ordeal by fire. On good, good April, or sorry, Good Friday, April 8th, he walked through a narrow passage between two massive piles of blazing wood, aka the ordeal by fire, wearing only a tunic and carrying the lance. He was hideously burned and died in agony on the 20th. Um, so, to explain that, the ordeal by fire was basically, if he had gone through the fire, um, like, unscathed, that would they would have taken that to mean that it was the real artifact and, like, he was protected by God's influence or whatever. And, uh, yeah. So... 
people lost faith in the Lance's authenticity. I mean, it still did its job no matter what. Uh, this was kept at Constantinople for a time and later at St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. It was to play a major role in medieval European legends in close association with the supremely sacred relic of, uh, you know, the Holy Grail. Uh, and these two relics appear together in many stories of the quests of King Arthur's Knights of the Round Table. Um, so um, now we move on. Christian history is littered with relics, the bones of saints, clothing, even entire bodies are kept in places of honor in the great cathedrals of Europe and beyond. Of these relics, the most prized and the most holy are those associated with Christ himself. Now, of these is the Holy Grail and the Holy Lance of Longinus. Um, this relic is a spear that pierced his side at the crucifixion. Mentioned only in the Gospel of John, it was stabbed into Jesus to demonstrate that he had already died so that his body could be taken down and entombed according to Jewish laws of the Sabbath. Named for St. Longinus, the Roman soldier who stabbed Christ to show he was dead, the Holy Lance has many names. It has been called the Spear of Destiny or the Holy Spear, um, and it has been preserved in various great Christian churches even down to the present day. So what was it? According to the Gospel of John, the Roman soldiers who guarded the three crosses of the crucifixion intended to break Jesus' legs on the cross. This may sound barbaric, but it would have been a mercy, as breaking his legs in this way would hasten his death and end his suffering. But it's clear that the Romans thought Jesus was still alive. However, according to Jewish customs, it required that Jesus be taken down and entombed on the Sabbath eve before Saturday at sundown to avoid any manual labor on the Jewish Sabbath. While discussing this with the Romans, they noticed that Jesus appeared to be already dead and therefore is unnecessary to break his bones. So to confirm that he was dead, a Roman soldier, which once again, this is only mentioned in the Gospel of John, a Roman soldier thrust his spear into the side of Jesus as he lay on the cross. A mass of blood and water rushed out of the wound, but he made no sound and no movement. He was taken down from the cross. Because, like, I had heard that, like, wine came out from his side, but apparently not. The soldier was not named, um, but the wider biblical apocrypha does give him a name. In the Gospel of Nicodemus, the soldier is described as a Roman centurion named Longinus. Um, however, best estimates put the authorship of this gospel sometime around the 4th century, much later than the canonical gospels, you know, the four. Um, and if this name is correct, it must have survived through some other tradition now lost to us. So what happened to it? The Bible never mentions the spear again. It was not considered important until the days of the early church. Um, there are four main contenders for the spear today. Um, each of it, each of which has its own competing provenance and each of which has considerable gaps in its history. For a start, there are centuries of silence between the crucifixion and the first appearance of a holy lance. The main contender for the real spears kept underneath the vast dome of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. 
The relic is apparently the same one as was described by a pilgrim to Jerusalem in 570 AD, who described seeing, quote, the crown of thorns with which our Lord was crowned and the lance with which he was struck in the side. After the Persian conquest of Jerusalem in 615 AD, the spear was apparently taken and broken into two pieces, the point and the blade. The point traveled to Constantinople and was later sold to Louis IX of France, moving again to Paris. From there, it disappeared during the French Revolution. The larger blade of the spear may also have traveled to Constantinople, but descriptions of the time do not always distinguish between the two parts of the Holy Lance. However, there was definitely another part of the spear at Constantinople, as it was looted by the Ottoman Turks when they sacked the city in 1492. From there, the Sultan offered what was apparently the blade to Pope Innocent VIII. Although skeptical as to its authenticity due to the huge gaps in its documented history, the spear has remained there ever since. So, other contenders. In the imperial treasury held in the Grand Hofburg Palace of Vienna in Austria, another spear can be found. The provenance of this lance is perhaps even more problematic than the one in Rome. And though it's known history has been referred to as many things, in its early history it was known as the Spear of Constantine the Great. However, other stories begin to swirl around this lance head from the 10th century when it came into the possession of the Holy Roman Emperors. Henry IV, in the year of his coronation as emperor, claimed that the spear had a nail on its tip, which was from the cross used to crucify Jesus. Almost 300 years later, the lance was again upgraded and was now claimed to be made of both a nail from the cross and the holy lance itself. This bolstering of the credentials of the lance is not the only problem. Modern x-ray analysis of the metal concludes that both the spear and the nail likely date from the 8th century, much too late for the artifact to be what it claims. Uh, sorry, I'm looking up what Roman spears were made of in the first century. Um, okay, so the Roman spear was a wooden shaft made of either ash or hazel attached to an iron head. Um, I guess it was called the pilum is a jam javelin commonly used by the Roman army in ancient times. It was generally about six and a half feet long, consisting of an iron shank about a quarter inch in diameter and 24 inch long with a pyramidal head. The shank was joined to the wooden shaft by either a socket or a flat tang. And um, it had a total weight of between two and five pounds. So, legionaries of the late Republic carried two pila, with one sometimes being lighter than the other. Standard tactics called for Roman soldiers to throw one of them at the enemy just before charging to engage with the gladius, which was like a short sword. Um, the effect of the spear thrown 
was to disrupt the enemy formation by attrition and by causing gaps to appear in any protective shield wall. The design of the pylum's tip is such that once wedged inside a shield, it is difficult to remove. A shield thus penetrated by the spear became very awkward to wield and was usually discarded. The result, this resulted in the aforementioned gaps in the protective shield wall, which could then favor the short gladius in tight hand-to-hand melee. It could also be used in hand-to-hand combat. One documented instance of this occurred at the Siege of Elysia. Additionally, Pila, or the spear, could be employed as a thrusting implement and a barrier against cavalry charges. Some of these spears had small handguards, to protect the wielder if he intended to use it as a melee weapon, but it does not appear that this was common. Um, how long does it take iron to rust? Okay, so, I mean, these would have to be 2,000 years old, right, at least. Um, How long does it take iron to rust? It takes iron about four to six months to rust. However, it it depends on the environment. So, like, these spears, if you look at them, they're... um, They look immaculate, you know, like... They've been restored or something. I mean, I I don't know. Um, so another spear is also preserved in Varder Shapat, hmm. one of the principal and oldest cities in Armenia. Again, a huge gap in the historical record exists where the spear is undocumented, with the first reference to it appearing as late as the 13th century. According to this account, this spear was apparently brought to Armenia by the Apostle Thaddeus, one of the twelve disciples, over no corroborating evidence from any earlier sources supports this. The final contender for the spear of Longinus rests in the city of Antioch. In 1098, during the siege of Antioch, uh, I told you this story, um, after conducting excavations in the church, Peter produced a spearhead, which he claimed to be the spear of Longinus. No other providence exists for the spear, uh, which therefore must have the weakest claim from history to be the spear. So, none of these spears are um, are real any of these four contenders. Um, So none of the current spearheads have sufficient evidence to allow for a confirmation that they are indeed the spear that pierced the side of Jesus. Um, However, while this may discredit the current contenders, it does also offer somewhere else to look. The point of the spear lost in the French Revolution can apparently trace its origins back to multiple attestations in Jerusalem, which would seem to give it a more secure history than its rivals, and was lost comparatively recently in history, and may conceivably be hidden, still in some dusty attic of a sealed crypt. And the larger blade, if it is not the one in Rome, 
can only be in a number of places. It may still be in Constantinople or preserved amongst the treasure of the Sultan who gifted it to the Pope after he sacked the city or perhaps never left Jerusalem at all. The Vatican does not recognize any of these four as the true holy lands. Um, so, yeah. Uh, so the the quote from John nine. 19 verse 34 one of the soldiers pierced his side with a lance and immediately there came out blood and water um so the phenomenon of blood and water was considered a miracle by origin catholics while accepting the reality of blood and water as emanated from the pierced heart and body of him also acknowledged that the allegorical interpretation it represents one of the main key teachings of the church and one of the main themes of the Gospel of Matthew, where, which is the homoousian interpretation adopted by the First Council of Nicaea, that Jesus was both true God and true man. The blood symbolizes his humanity, the water his divinity. A ceremonial evocation of this is found in a Catholic Mass, priest pours a small amount of water into the wine before the consecration, an act which acknowledges his humanity and divinity and recalls the issuance of blood and water from Christ's side on the cross. St. Faustina Kowalska, a Polish nun whose advocacy and writings led to the establishment of the divine mercy devotion, also acknowledged the miraculous nature of the blood and water, explaining that the blood is a symbol of the divine mercy of Christ, while the water is a symbol of his divine compassion and of baptismal waters. In most variants of the divine liturgy, the priest lances the host with a liturgical spear before it is divided in honor of the Trinity, the Virgin Mary, and various other remembrances. The deacon recites the relevant passage from the Gospel of John, along with sections of the Acts of the Apostles, dealing with commemoration of the saints, most of these pieces set aside become the anti-Doran to be distributed after the liturgy. Um, and the anti-Doran is ordinary leavened bread, which is blessed but not consecrated and is distributed in certain Eastern Orthodox churches. Oh. The main piece becomes the lamb. The host that is consecrated on the altar and distri distributed to the faithful for Holy Communion. So along Genus. The name of the soldier who pierced Christ's side with launch, I guess that's the name of the lance, um, is not given in the Gospel of John, but in the oldest known references to the legend, the apocryphal Gospel of Nicodemus, appended to like manuscripts of the 4th century of Acts of Pilate, the soldier is identified as a centurion and called Longinus. A form of the name Longinus occurs on a miniature in the Rabula Gospels, which was illuminated by one Rabulus in the year 586. In the miniature, the name Longinus is written in Greek characters, 
above the head of the soldier who is thrusting into Christ's side. This is one of the earliest records of the name, but the inscription is not a later edition. Hmm. So, we already know about the one in Rome. Uh, I want to talk really quickly about the Holy Lance uh, contender displayed in the Imperial Treasury at the Hofburg Palace in, Palace in Vienna, Austria. The Holy Lance in Vienna is displayed in the Imperial Treasury at the Hofburg Palace in Vienna, Austria. is a typical wing lance of the Carolingian dynasty. At different times, it was said to be the lance of St. Maurice or that of Constantine the Great. In the 10th century, the Holy Roman Emperors came into possession of this lance, according to sources from the time of Otto I. In 1000 AD, Otto III gave Bolska of Poland a replica of the Holy Lance. In 1084, Henry IV had a silver band with the inscription, Nail of Our Lord, added to it. This was based on the belief that the nail embedded in the spear tip was one that had been used for the crucifixion of Jesus. It was only in the 13th century that the lance became identified with that of Longinus, which had then been used to pierce Christ's side and had been drenched in water and the blood of Christ. Um, in 1273, the Holy Lance was first used in a coronation ceremony. Around 1350, Charles IV had a golden sleeve put over the silver one, inscribed Lance and Nail of the Lord. In 1424, Sigismond had a collection of relics, including the lance, moved from his capital in Prague to his birthplace, Nuremberg, and decreed them to be kept there forever. This collection was called the Imperial Regalia. When the French Revolutionary Army approached Nuremberg in the spring of 1796, the city councilors decided to remove this to Vienna for safekeeping. The collection was entrusted to a Baron von Hugel, who promised to return the objects once the threat was resolved. However, the Holy Roman Empire was soon disbanded, and in the confusion, he sold the collection to the Habsburgs. Um, <laughs> and their chins. The city councilors asked for the return of the collection after the defeat of Napoleon's army, but the Austrian authorities refused. Um, blah, blah, blah. Uh, World War II shenanigans. Um, most of the imperial regalia were recovered by the Allies at the end of the war, but um, the blanks had hidden the five most important pieces in hopes of using them as political symbols to help them rally for a return to power. Um, so a uh, guy after the war by the name of Walter Horn uh, was charged with uh, tracking these pieces down. After a series of interrogations and false rumors, a guy in Nuremberg confessed that he had hidden the regalia and he agreed to bring Horn's team to the site. On August 7th, 
Hornin, a U.S. Army captain, escorted this guy to the entrance of blah, where they located the treasures hidden behind a wall of masonry in a small room off of a subterranean corridor, roughly 80 feet below ground. The regalia were first brought back to Nuremberg Castle to be reunited with the rest of the imperial regalia and then was transferred with the entire collection to Austrian officials the following January. Um, the museum, where it's currently held, has dated the lance to the 8th century. Um, Robert Feather, an English metallurgist and technical engineering writer, tested it for a documentary in January 2003. He was given unprecedented permission not only to examine the lance in a lab environment, but to remove the delicate bands of gold and silver that hold it together. Based on x-ray diffraction, fluorescence tests, and other non-invasive procedures, he dated the main body of the spear to the 7th century at the earliest. Feather stated in the same documentary that an iron pin, long claimed to be a nail from the crucifixion, hammered into the blade and set off by tiny brass crosses, was, quote, consistent in length and shape with a 1st century A.D. Roman nail. There is no residue of human blood on the lance. Not long afterwards, researchers at the Interdisciplinary Research Institute for Archaeology in Vienna used x-ray and other tech to examine a range of lances and determined that the Vienna lance dates from around the 8th century to the beginning of the 9th century, with the nail apparently being of the same metal and ruled out the possibility of it dating back to the 1st century A.D. I mean, why would he say the land, the spear dates to the seventh century, but then the nail that some guy added to it later on? Oh yeah, it's from the first century. I mean, I I don't really get it. Um, so I mean, there's no. There's no, I mean, there were at least hundreds of thousands or tens of thousands of these lances produced, right? So, I mean, even if it date date back to the first century AD, how do you know that it's that specific one? I mean, God, just in that city, if it was staffed by Romans at the time, would have been... Wouldn't there have been hundreds at least? I mean, how how can you differentiate, you know, where they, which was which? You know, I, I mean, I guess it's cool to hope or whatever, but there's no way to verify any of this. So, yeah, um... Long story short, all the four contenders for the lance are probably fakes, and there's no way to verify that any of these four are um, real. So anyways, thanks for listening. This has been your host, Luke. Um, have a good weekend. Bye.